Open up in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verses 15 through verse 1 of chapter 2 today. I was recently asked by someone if I had a personal vision statement for my life and ministry. They wanted to know if I could summarize in a statement somehow what my focus was for pastoral ministry. I don't know, have you ever thought about this? I, uh, I had, by God's grace. I'm curious though, what, what would your personal vision statement be for your life or for your ministry? I'm not sure that it needs to be a requirement per se, but I found out that it's good to have in the back of your head in case someone asks you at some point. My wife and I, Um, we'll have been married six years in June, and around our first anniversary, we began to discuss and think through what kind of missional statement that we could kind of cling to as a family. And what we settled on together is this, be faithful today and fulfill the mission. Be faithful today and fulfill the mission. And to be honest, I'm still pretty content with that statement, um, especially considering how even more clueless we were back then Um, about life and ministry. Um, You know, we had come to a place of realizing that success in ministry is about faithfulness to Christ, about faithfulness to the calling as we served in student ministry at the time. We realized that faithfulness was key to fulfilling the mission of making disciples. And I know what you're thinking, this is elementary. Um, it's, It's not complicated, Um, But I can remember then how freeing it was and how life-changing it was for us to be able to become aware of these simple truths by the grace of God. And he is so kind to teach us these simple truths. I think if Paul were to share with Timothy and us what his vision statement was for his life and ministry, I really think that it might be able to be summed up in three words. Christ is sufficient. That Jesus is enough. Let me ask you, at the end of the day, or really even at the beginning of your day, is Christ enough? What is it that you could want in life and ministry that can be, cannot be found in Christ? What or who could possibly stir your affections more than Christ himself? The reality of Christ being sufficient is freeing and it is life-changing. Does your perception of reality resemble Paul's reality that Christ is sufficient? I don't know if you've ever put on a virtual reality headset or not, but at one point a few years ago, the um, Baseball Hall of Fame came through Tulsa, Oklahoma. They were traveling through with their museum and um, part of their Hall of Fame, and there was a station where you could put on a VR headset and you could have home run derby, participate in home run derby at Dodger Stadium or Fenway Park. And I was living the dream, um, hitting home runs in Dodger Stadium like I would um, obviously love to in real life, but that's not reality. And I think the amazing truth about Christ being sufficient, um, the reality is that that is simply the way it is. No matter what your perception is, but does your perception of reality match Paul's reception that Christ is sufficient? 
When the darkest night comes your way, I think you become aware of how insufficient everything is that owns your affections apart from Christ. So if Christ isn't enough, then what ends up happening is the gospel becomes expendable rather quickly. It is one thing to consider Christ as sufficient on the best of days, according to whatever standards you might have. But if Christ isn't sufficient on the worst of days, then I think you're going to be tempted to turn away from Christ, to abandon the church and the gospel altogether. Paul, here in 2 Timothy, sometime around AD 64 to 67, writes this second letter to his son in the faith, as he would call him, Timothy, who's ministering in Ephesus. Paul is writing to him to encourage and to charge Timothy to guard what has been entrusted to him. And he shares his desire to see Timothy one more time before he dies as his death sentence um, has been made known to him. He knows that his death is approaching while he waits in prison and he's bearing his soul, if you will, in this final letter to Timothy because he wants Timothy to protect this gospel that he has received no matter what the cost. And it is going to require him to stand firm and it's going to require him to suffer along with Paul. And the key to everything is how Christ is sufficient through it all. So in our verses today, um, we're going to see, I'm going to propose three effects for the one who believes that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for. And so by the time we finish in just a few moments, my hope is that you will find yourself confident in and committed to the gospel in all circumstances. So let's begin reading at verse 13 to try to help um, understand and know what Paul is talking about. And we're going to read through verse 1 of chapter 2. Reads, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Would you go with me to prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask now that by your word and your spirit that you would shape us and help us see the glory of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So look back now with me at verse 15, and let's begin seeing the three effects for the one who believes that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for. Verse 15 says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. So the first effect here for the one who believes that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for is that you do not, you do not turn away in shame when hardship comes. At this point in his letter, Paul is providing negative examples and he's going to provide a positive example that is going to illustrate what he has been saying in the previous verses. He charged Timothy in verse 13 to do what? 
well, to follow the pattern of sound words, which he has received from Paul. And look, this is all for the sake of guarding the gospel. Notice how Paul gives three examples here that reveal people have actually turned away from him and therefore the gospel. Well, the first is a general example when he says that all in, in, all in Asia have turned away from him. Now, I don't think this literally means every Christian in Asia, considering that Timothy and Anesiphorus' household lived there, but it evidently was a substantial group of people that abandoned Paul, enough that he felt it. There were enough people choosing to forget about him that it must have felt like he had been abandoned by all. And he continues his negative, negative examples with naming two specific men that turned away from him. Now, how unfortunate and sad to be these two men. We know nothing else about these two from the New Testament, but they have been used as negative examples in the church ever since Paul penned their name in the first century. It's unknown if these guys were leaders in the church or prominent influencers in some other fashion, but they were apparently known by Timothy and they were gonna serve as a reminder to him And they evidently brought great disappointment to Paul as they had abandoned him. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. The funny thing about adversity is that it tends to reveal those surface level friends from real true friends. And in this case, well, it revealed that Paul could not consider these men to be real friends or brothers. And at one point, they had to have appeared to be friends of Paul and possibly even lovers of the gospel. But we see that the hardship and suffering that Paul was experiencing ultimately revealed that they could not remain loyal to him. They couldn't support him. And in doing so, what did they do? They could not protect the gospel. Let me ask you, have you experienced this reality of people turning away from you because of the gospel? You know, I can't say that I've had people desert me due to suffering for the gospel, but most likely like you, I have lost what I thought were friends along the way. After Christ brought me to the end of myself as he confronted me in my sin when I was 21 years old. Look, it's not easy, as you most likely know, to have people turn away from you and find yourself lonely at times, as Paul was sensing here. But... What I found to be true and that was continually affirmed in those lonely moments back at 21 and how Christ was always enough. You know, I had teammates during this time of life whenever I was in college and you, you know, you are close in a sense, but night after night, I found myself being alone for a while and I realized that I only had one friend. And my one friend truly was Jesus. And yet, even then, he was enough. You know, Paul is giving Timothy these negative examples. And he's saying, look, don't be like these people, Timothy, who turn away. Just like he mentioned in verse 8 of chapter 1, he's asking Timothy to do something else. He's asking him to share in his suffering for the gospel. And it's not just because they're turning away from Paul, but they are ultimately turning away from Christ the one Paul serves, even in hardship. So to not turn away means to stand with those who are suffering for the gospel, to suffer with them. 
brothers and sisters in Christ whom you know who find themselves in the middle of hardship, guess what? They need you. The one who would claim that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for will not turn away and abandon those who need support. They need you to be the positive example that Paul talks about next. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So the second effect for the one who believes that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for is that you are unashamed about weakness. Unashamed about weakness. There are two aspects of weakness that I want you to consider here with me. First, recognize your own weakness. I find this interesting about Paul. Paul is not ashamed to admit that he hurts when people abandon him, and he's not ashamed to admit that he needs to be refreshed by others. Paul was rather comfortable in weakness, was he not? He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that he would gladly boast in his weakness as he pleaded with the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh. But he knows that the thorn was given to him by the Lord to protect him from becoming conceited. Are you content in weakness? If not, let me ask you, why is it that you work so hard to protect yourself to protect others from seeing your weakness. Like I, I am terribly guilty of this. There's something inside of me that makes me extremely uncomfortable to think about how people could know me in weakness. People could be aware of my weaknesses. You know, and one example that just immediately comes to my mind is how nervous I can get in preparation to speak before people. I make myself sick due to my nerves um, leading up to preaching. I've always been like this. Even when I was preaching every week as a student pastor on Wednesdays or even preaching on Sundays at times. But I've always been reminded in those moments how Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. And the truth is that we all have weaknesses. And we all need to be encouraged and we all need to be refreshed by others in troubling times. So it is okay and it is actually good to not be a lone wolf in your ministry efforts. You need those who will rejoice with you when you rejoice and you need those who will weep with you when you weep. Anessa Forrest was that person for Paul. Paul says that he refreshed me And look, this is not simply material needs that he's talking about, but this is a spiritual refreshment. In order for Paul to experience this type of refreshment, he also needed someone to not be ashamed of who he was in his weakness, in his situation. Anessa Forrest was willing to risk his reputation for Paul. He was ready and willing to stand by Paul no matter what, whenever he needed it the most. The ministry of Vanessa Forrest helps us see the second aspect of weakness here. And it's not, it's not only about realizing and being content in your own weakness, but it's also about being unashamed of others and their weakness. Look at 16 and 17. Again, it says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of, of Vanessa Forrest, for he often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. This brother's desire to refresh and encourage Paul was not minimal. But he was diligent in his ministry effort. Notice that Anesiphorus often 
refresh Paul. One commentator has said, Anesiphorus was not a fly-by-night kind of guy. He was a loyal friend. He was a true brother in Christ. And this positive example of Anesiphorus should encourage Timothy to do the same thing. So yes, it was dangerous to seek out Paul, put his reputation and even his life on the line, but he was willing to consider Paul's needs greater than his own. It took a great amount of effort to find Paul, and yet he did so earnestly until he found him. His sole purpose in going to Rome and what he's saying was to find Paul. It wasn't like how I kind of operate at times, like, well, if I see so-and-so, then I'll go ahead and talk to them. No, this guy was going there looking for him. Who is it, possibly, that you might know that the Lord is telling you you need to go to? Don't wait for the Lord's providence and what we call chance at times, but go to them in diligence. I can only imagine the joy that they both shared whenever um, Anesiphorus found Paul. Anesiphorus lived out and he modeled what it was like for a Christian to show mercy. Remember what Jesus said regarding Christian mercy and how, how it will be rewarded in the final judgment? In Matthew 25, he says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And he goes on to say, Truly, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So when Anesiphorus refreshed Paul, it was like he refreshed Christ. Whenever he visited Paul, it was like he visited Christ. Why would he search for Paul earnestly until he found him? You know, I can't, I can't help but think that Anesiphorus wanted to be like Christ in the way that Christ searched for him and found him lost and rejoiced when he was found. We see how Anesiphorus serves Timothy and us as a positive example of what it looks like to be one who believes Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for all while being unashamed about weakness in ourselves and in others. The third effect for the one who believes that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for is that you're aware of where your help ultimately comes from. I want to highlight two things here. And first is the mercy we receive is from the Lord. If you look back at verses 16 and 18, you see that Paul prays for Onesiphorus to receive mercy from the Lord because of his effort in searching after Paul. Paul was grateful for his friend and he wanted him to receive the mercy that we all need from the Lord on the last day. Matthew 5, 7 says that the merciful are blessed for they will be shown mercy. I think Onesiphorus fit this description. The help we need to persevere during the hard times comes from the one who grants mercy. Our help doesn't ultimately come from family or friends. The Lord may use these people to give you mercy that you need, but don't forget who's making it all happen. Do you look to other things to try and help you during hard times? Are you possibly so goal-oriented that even whenever you find yourself struggling, you just keep your eyes fixed on your goals for your motivation. Maybe it's the affirmation that social media will bring you. Maybe it's just your ability to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Don't forget 
that you were brought into this ministry of the gospel, this ministry of reconciliation by the Lord's mercy. And it is the Lord's mercy that helps you persevere in it. Psalm 121, two says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Your help comes from the one who created out of nothing. It isn't only mercy that we receive though, we also receive grace in Christ. Look at verse one of chapter two. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is pointing his finger at Timothy, if you will, and he is charging him to remember where his strength comes from. When Paul says, be strengthened, what he has in mind is for Timothy to not only remember where his strength comes from, but it's portraying this continuous idea. The strength that he needs to persevere is continuously being provided by the grace of Christ. It never runs out. He is saying to keep his eyes fixed on Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we are transformed into the image of Christ. How? By beholding his glory. The strength that is needed to persevere in your ministry efforts is actually found in beholding Christ. The strength that is needed to persevere isn't an external strength, it is an internal strength. And glory to God for this, because it doesn't matter, man, woman, boy or girl, big or small, physically weak, physically strong, this strength is internal and it's provided by the grace of Christ. Paul knows that the grace of Christ is sufficient and he wants Timothy to remember this truth as well. Let me ask you, are you content with relying on the grace of Christ to strengthen you day by day? One pastor has said, if you find yourself desperate for strength to persevere, then you are in a good place. When you are discouraged in ministry, when you are tired in ministry, when you are hurting in ministry, look to Christ. Paul says in Romans 16, 25, that Christ is able to strengthen you according to the gospel. Remind yourself what you have in the gospel or better yet, remind yourself who you have in Christ. Today, we've seen three effects for the one who believes that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for. This means that you don't turn away in shame when hardship comes. You are unashamed about weakness in yourself and in others. And you're aware of where your help ultimately comes from. And I can't help but think that a passage like this, you know, forces us to ask, which example am I? Which example are you? Are you similar to the negative examples of Phagellus and Hermogenes who are ashamed of the gospel? Ready to run whenever faithfulness and boldness is needed? Or are you similar to the positive example of Anesiphorus who works hard to refresh others? Paul wants Timothy to be found faithful as well as with boldness. And the Lord wants the same thing for you today. Like if you're going to be one who believes that Christ is sufficient and worth persevering for, then you're gonna have to be confident in and committed to the gospel in all circumstances. So I wanna encourage you in one specific area to be confident in and remain committed to the gospel. I think you have to be grounded in the word of God. Consider with me these examples. Think about Moses. 
First of all, he was scared to death to do what God called him to do. But what did he do? Eventually, he went and confronted Pharaoh. How in the world could he do this if he was not confident in the word of God? How about Jeremiah, who went to people who were not going to hear or accept his message? Who would do this if they weren't confident in the word of God? How about Peter and John and Acts as they stand under the threat of great persecution and being arrested? They were confident in the word of God. How about you today, or maybe someday soon, when you stand up week after week and you open the Bible to preach the same old gospel message, or you teach Sunday school, or you um, are helping somebody in counseling sessions, or spending time overseas on the mission field, how will you be able to do that if you are not confident in the word of God? How are you going to be able to preach the word in season and out of season with patience, as Paul says in chapter four, if you're not confident in the word of God? How are you going to be able to entrust what you've received to others who can teach others also, as Paul says in chapter two, verse two, if you're not confident in the word of God? How can you remain unashamed and rightly handle the word of truth according to chapter two, verse 15, if you're not confident in the word of God? Your commitment to the gospel and the pattern of sound words that you have received will be a reflection of your confidence in the word of God. If you find yourself here not being confident in the gospel, can I ask you a question? Do you truly believe this gospel? Is Christ sufficient for you? Have you been made new in Christ by faith in his finished work and what he has accomplished I'm here to tell you, he is sufficient for you. In our passage today in verse 17, when Paul was speaking about Anesiphorus, he said, he searched for me earnestly and found me. What does this sound like? Who does this sound like? This is what Christ has done for you. He came to his enemies. He lived a life that fulfilled the law, became your substitute on the cross, and he shed his blood for your sin. His sacrifice was good. It was accepted. He was raised Three days later, and he reigns next to the Father in heaven as king over all creation. And today, still, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he searches and finds his people. If you've not trusted in Christ, then may today be the day that you receive his mercy and grace. And may you turn from your sin, and may you turn to Christ, and you will discover how sufficient he is and how he is worth persevering for. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ. Pray that you would continue to cultivate the truth of your word in our hearts, that you would build our confidence in your word, and that you would help us persevere for the sake of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.